0: Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Armando Luna.
1: And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from our homes in Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia.
0: This is a show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way.
1: Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks, and today... Podcaster extraordinaire, former Slate editor, and Atlas Obscura CEO, and DC bike commuter, David Plotz. Cool. Hey, Armando, how's it going?
0: It's it's going okay for a Monday, but yeah.
1: For a Monday, are you Garfield?
0: <laughs> no, totally. So you know, my so my coworker is on vacation for two weeks. I'm mm. sort of I've got to hold things down for two weeks. So now it's, I guess it's only 10 days, right? And now it's only nine days. That's how I'll think of it. <laughs>
1: you got this. I got it. You can it. do it. You can do it.
0: <laughs> and uh, the weather here has been extraordinarily awesome. Um, and I'm trying to enjoy it must, must as, po- mo- as much as possible because it is very uncommon to have this kind of weather in April in Portland. And it just means that we're going to be... <sighs> hiding in our houses because of smoke later on.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm trying to not think about what this, uh, yeah, I'm trying to not think about the fact that we already have a burn ban. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, or, in, uh, in Oregon here in April, which is not usually something we have to worry about this time of year. Yeah. I got outside this weekend. I saw you went out for a pretty great bike ride. Yeah, I did.
0: Uh, another ride sponsored by the Bike Puck Group. Here in Portland, that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, that group is really taking off. It's it's nice, and we're going to have. Um, we actually invited. Um, so I spoke to a friend, and I asked her if she was in that group. She said no. I, I I heard the show, and it just you know it seems sort of like a lot of guys. And I'm like, but see, that's the thing. It's not just guys. There's more than half women in the group. We just didn't have them on the show. So we did invite some of the women in the group on the show, uh, and they'll be on later. Uh, Later this this uh, spring, I guess.
1: Yeah, a few few like a month or so yeah. sounds like. Yeah, I think that's great, and it looks like it was a really really fun ride. I didn't totally understand the photo of Aaron pushing the shopping cart, but <laughs> folks can go to our uh, <laughs> Instagram account at Sprocket Podcast to take a look at that picture. That was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so I I did get out on my bike this weekend. I did my second Hill Killer ride. I talked about that last week, doing hill hill repeats as part of this Hill Killers thing. But also this weekend, I spent a little bit of time on a sailboat. I've been taking some oh, yeah. sailing lessons.
0: I saw your photos.
1: And yeah, that's, but I, that's on
0: the Columbia River?
1: On the Columbia River, yeah, which has got some nice wind. Why did you... That's See, scary. Why? It's scary That's... to me.
0: The Columbia's scary.
1: Why is the Columbia scary? Just it's because. it's big. So big and
0: powerful, and people on boats get drowned and stuff.
1: <laughs> you think the Columbia's scary? Have you heard of the ocean?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, I have.
1: <laughs> well, all right. Let me tell you about what uh, what was initially not not this time around, but ah. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up on a small lake, and we had a, a bunch of boats on that lake. We had a metal rowboat, we had a wooden canoe, and then we had the sunfish, which is a small sailboat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I guess, and, like, I could take those boats out by myself, or my best friend Martha and I could take those boats out. is was fine. Um, and uh, I don't remember how often I took the sunfish out but I remember one time in particular um, that I took the sunfish out and it flipped over in the middle of the lake. And uh, I didn't – I knew that could happen, I think, but I, I i wasn't really good at, like, using the dagger board to get the, the boat back up, so I had to, like, yell to my sister on shore to come rescue me. So she – I think she rode out, I'm not sure, in the rowboat. She was, like, on the side of the lake sunning. And she came and she, you know, flipped the – sunfish up and I don't know, somehow we, somehow we got it back. And, um, so for a long time after that, I was just scared of sailing because I thought sailboats flipped. And so a few years later, my dad took me sailing on this big sailboat on Lake Champlain up in Vermont. And, um, we Yeah, so we were on a, a big sailboat that heeled over, and I was just terrified because I knew that sailboats flipped over. Now, of course, sailboats with, you know, a keel and a ballast that are, like, big sailboats do not really flip over, but I was just terrified. So... Uh, and, and they tried to tell me, I mean, I was still little, they were like, no, this kind of boat doesn't flip. And I was like, no, the sunfish, the sunfish flips over. So uh, I think I was scared off of sailing as a kid because of that, even though, you know, like you can know something logically, but it still is in your head. So um, yeah, my, I've never, I don't know, like I've kayaked, I've been a raft guide, I've done all sorts of things on water. So a friend wanted to take some sailing lessons. So I thought it would be a a good way to be outside. Uh yeah, so it's been a really nice way to experience Portland in a different way. I haven't actually spent some time much time any time on the Columbia. Uh there's like gorgeous views of Mount Hood from the river. And it was just it was just beautiful out there this weekend. Although you know what was funny is that this weekend was so nice that all the like jet skis and power boats, motor boats were out. And um Whereas like the past couple weekends, there were like a few power boats out, but not really, uh, it just wasn't that nice out, but with the nice weather, they all came out. And I have to tell you, I found myself really quickly putting it into a f- the same framing as I think of like bikes and cars. <laughs> like I realized I was thinking of us as, on the sailboat as like the virtuous ones <laughs> and the people <laughs> in the power boats as being like the cars and, uh. Yeah, so like I found myself saying, "We need a we need a Sunday Parkway here on the <laughs> river," which is you know like boat that's length. like when Portland yeah like when when Portland know yeah, when Portland shuts down the cars to streets for bikes and pedestrians. I I wanted that on oh, the yeah, Columbia. Yeah, I wanted that on the Columbia, like a no jet ski, no power boat. You know, and they're like playing music really loud and they're like party boats and there we are like trying to use these little tiny wafts of wind to make our way across the river.
0: <laughs> it's funny you talk about sailing and the only the thing that I was I mean it immediately pops into my head is Duran Duran Rio on the catamaran that's the, exactly what pops in my head when anybody ever talks about sailing.
1: That song, really, that is not, I mean, I listen to a fair amount of Duran and that is, <laughs> that is not my association. <laughs> All right, well, uh, you know, I think it's time to talk to David. Thanks so much to David Plotz for joining us today. David is the former editor-in-chief of Slate, former CEO of Atlas Obscura, the longtime host of the Slate Political Gab Fest, and the CEO of CityCast, a new network of daily local news podcasts that has recently launched in Chicago and Denver. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for joining us. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. It's a beautiful day in Washington. Just went for a nice walk uh nothing to complain about
1: excellent that's a that's quite a thing to be able to say these days isn't it um well so uh you know you're an extraordinarily talented writer journalist ceo and so of course we want to talk to you about bikes because that's what we like to talk about so um i've heard you talk about bike commuting in dc on the gabfest and can you just tell us a little bit about how you became a bike commuter and the kind of bicycling you do.
2: How did I become a bike commuter? That is a really good question. I, I don't remember waking up one day and suddenly being a bike commuter. It, I I think what happened is that when I, this must be 25, more than 25 years ago, when I first started going out with the woman who would become my wife and then later my ex-wife, um, she had a bike and I was like, I didn't know you could bike in DC. And so I got a bike. This would be back in the early nineties, practically. And I got a bike and I had a, the same beater commuter bike, um, for 20 some years, 22 years. Uh, and just loved that, Loved that bike. It was ultimately like stolen. It was on its totally on its last legs and it was stolen. Um, and that made me. It was made me really sad, even though it was a terrible bike at that point. And then I've had another beater commuter bike, um, like a you know a shitty hybrid for the last eight or so years. Uh, and I I always lived like I lived kind of like two three miles from work, and that's just a great length for a bike commute. And it was also. I'd always, I was living uphill. I was living on top of hills. And so my bike commutes were generally, I could just like cruise down to work. Um, Very little, it was very little effort to get to work. I mean, coming home, obviously you had to pay the price, but, um, but I, it was, it was an easy way to get started in the morning. Um, So yeah. And so I, you know, until pandemic, I basically bike commuted for the last 20 odd years. And then I also had a job in New York cause I was running Atlas Obscura in New York. And I commuted in New York, um, on my bike, which was also more harrowing. I really don't like biking in New York the way I like biking in DC.
1: Yeah. How, um, how is biking, in DC? Like, can you just, you said, I mean, I, I know that feeling of sometimes something doesn't occur to you to do, and then you start doing it, and maybe you see a little more infrastructure that you hadn't even noticed. But
2: yeah, I mean, the, the, the infrastructure has developed as I've lived in DC, and certainly bike lanes have improved, uh, bike sort of bike awareness has improved. So even, even places that aren't bike lanes, people are not quite as as difficult as they used to be. I think there was, there was a period maybe 15 years ago, which was very awful. And I, co- cause most of my commute is down Connecticut Avenue, which is a big, big DC street, which is a big driving street and does not have a bike lane. And it would be really difficult to put a bike lane in there. You, you would, you know, you'd really piss off a lot of people. Um, and, and cars were terrible. They were just terrible over the last few years they've got the cars have gotten better more bike lanes are in the bike lanes in dc are just not there are a lot of them they're just not on big streets generally they're not unuseful streets so you have to you have to really go out of your way to to use them um but they exist and and there's there are in a lot of people who use them not like portland levels but but way more than D, way more than new york and way more than than a lot of cities um i think the the uh, the DC car culture, the way people dri- so a lot of what happens in DC is that are commuters who are coming from Maryland and Virginia and work in DC, and they tend they tend to be high income. The jobs in downtown DC are high income jobs. The commuters are high income commuters, and so usually that some of that comes with a bike awareness, but a lot of it is like like just dirt bags and BMWs who. <laughs> get very, very close. And I've had so many fucking unpleasant encounters with people who nearly clipped me, um, driving on a non-bike lane street. So it's been unpleasant, but, but New York is so much worse that I'll, I'll take DC anytime. (laughs)
1: You know, I'm laughing because I was about to say, yeah, I've heard that before about people in BMWs, but I actually think that I heard you say that at some point on the CapFest.
2: I did a survey for a while. I was, like, surveying people <laughs> and just, like, counting, all right, who's the person who's, you know, who's the driver who's come within two feet of me, you know, looking at the car? And it was wildly disproportionately BMWs. What? And I think it's, like, there are a bunch of reasons for that. I think it's that BMW drivers are assholes i think it's that bmw drivers think they're great drivers and so they act like i'm such a great driver so i know exactly that i'm you know 18 inches from that guy's handlebars i'm perfectly safe and not recognizing that it's scaring the shit out of me the biker to have this car so close um and they're and they drive fast because they have bmws and so all those things combine to really on there, it's very unpleasant. But I, I think that has, that's definitely declined. That was a thing I noticed like 10 years ago. It's in recent years, it's not, it's improved. I also, I've just, I don't know what actually policy is and I don't know what Sprocket's policy is on this. I just now bike in the middle of lanes and just don't even fucking worry about it because I'm so like biking on the side of a lane is just let every bad encounter I've ever had has come because I've been on the right side of a lane and a car thinks it can use the rest of the lane. And that's just not, it's, it's terrible. So I just take the middle of the lane and if it slows yeah. down traffic behind me, it slows down traffic behind me.
1: Vehicular cycling. That's the name for that. I don't know. If oh, you really? know that. No, yeah. There's like know. a name for it. And there's this whole like, thing there's this whole controversial thing because there there was a uh, back before bike lanes and you had to be super hardcore right to bike in cities to get around and so you had to be super aggressive and uh and then the, some of those folks like advocated against bike lanes because they were like no you gotta be like the cars and so that became the vehicular cycling movement but if you want you know Age seven to seventy or whatever. If you want lots of people using your bike lanes, then you know, you can't you can't bike your kid to school down the middle of a busy road with BMWs. So we don't have an official podcast (laughs) policy on that.
2: The problem I have is like I is that I I think like a lot of people who bike a lot, am a hypocrite about it, which is that or not a hypocrite, I'm inconsistent, which is that I want to be a bike when I want to be a bike and I want to be a car when I want to be a car. So I will take the middle lane, the middle of the lane and the whole lane up, but then I get to a red light. I'll just bike through the red light because I'm like, it doesn't, it's stupid for me to sit here at the red light. The energy it's going to take for me to restart to, from a dead stop is so huge. Like I'm just going to go through this red light. And, and so I find it really hard to behave actually like a car. Uh, so I'm a bad, I'm ai am I'm, I'm doing bad for all of our reputation sorry but
0: but that would be an argument for bike infrastructure right there and you right. wouldn't have to act like a car yes i guess also
1: i feel like we bike folks have a way of justifying this too which is to say that you know we're the vulnerable road user so when it makes sense to flow with the traffic i mean because i'm sure you've had the experience of going the speed of traffic but the cars are like irritated with you because they don't mm. like that they're the same speed as a bike. Mm. So then they pass you and then you catch up to them and you know, that yeah. whole thing. So I think when we're the vulnerable road users, it's just, I think the problem is that somebody in a car will see one person in a bike do something wrong. And they use that condemn to condemn all bicyclists as opposed to if they see one car, somebody in a car being a jerk, it's just like, Oh, that guy's a jerk.
2: Maybe. You not know. Yeah, I mean, I've biked, you know, knock knock wood. I've bike, been biking in DC for close to thirty years. Have not had the only accidents I've had have been cars grotesquely misbehaving and clipping me. I've never gotten a ticket. I've never gotten a moving violation. I've never hit a pedestrian. Never endangered anyone, as far as I can tell. Um, so. I don't think there are a lot of car drivers who can say they're they've and I've done it almost every day for those 30 years. I mean, I bike basically every single day. So, uh, it is clearly a better method than a lot of other methods.
1: Do you are, do you hear about a lot of folks in DC getting tickets for things they do while they're on their bikes? Is that like a thing that happens there?
2: Well, there's a, um, there's a notorious cop in the neighborhood where I live in Woodley park known as Officer Friendly, um, who hates bikes. And he just, like, you have to, everyone has their encounter with him and everyone's pulled over by him and gets ticketed by him. Although I've never been ticketed by him. I have been pulled over by him. Uh, And he's just such a monster and, like, gets you for whatever it is. Like, not signaling, not, you know, not stopping fully at the light. And um, so he's, actually, you know, (laughs) the best encounter I had I was biking, uh, with some friends and we ran through a stop sign and a, a cop was going the other direction. He yelled at us and he, it was a weekend. It was like a very light traffic and he yelled at us and we kind of acknowledged and he, and then he, he yelled at us and he stopped one of us. He, I was in the front and so he didn't stop me, but he stopped one of us and, and apologize. We apologize. You know, he, my, the guy I was biking with apologized. We kept going. And biked and biked and, you know, another half mile and ran through like three stop signs in the course of it. And we hadn't noticed that the cop had followed us. And he just, he pulled us over and, and was furious, but then he didn't even ticket us. And it was, I was like, you should have ticketed us. You should have given us a $500 ticket.
1: He just wanted to yell at you.
2: He just yelled at us. Yeah. And he, you know, he pulled, he gave us, he put, he put our name in the system because he was like, if you ever get pulled over again, you're, you, you're, the cop who pulls you over is going to know you did this, but um, he, We should have had to pay five hundred dollars. We were wrong. We we were scofflaws.
1: So, uh, do you know about what's called the Idaho stop? No. Oh, the, David. This is amazing. So, because uh, it's it's the law in a few other places, but Idaho has Idaho. I think was the first place, and it, it's the case here in Oregon, uh, brand new too. It basically means that if you're on a bike, a stop sign is a yield sign. Oh,
2: right. So great.
1: Yeah, because it makes sense because for us, it can be safer to slow down and not come to a complete stop, right? Because you, yes. you know, yeah. yeah, doesn't it make sense?
2: That's what yeah. a great law you know, Get tell- on
1: that D.C. politicians.
2: Yeah, D.C. should do it. I, the, New York, um, my ex-brother-in-law was the victim of what I think is just the most vicious, pernicious, grotesquerie. Which is that he so he was biking on a big street in new york queen's boulevard and he ran a red light i guess but there was no track he didn't run it in a dangerous way he just ran a red light and uh and there was a cop right behind him and then he ran but he didn't know the cop was right behind him and then he ran four more lights uh in quick, again, not endangering anybody just ran, he did brand, but he did, you know, he ran the lights, they pulled him over and they gave him a ticket for running five lights because he, they were, because he was like, because he kept running the lights and it was so they were like, you've endangered people each time you've run the lights. So you're getting a $1,500 ticket. And he's like, but you could, if you think I'm endangering people, why didn't you stop me after I'd run one light? Rather than like making me compound the offense, and so now he's got to fight. You know, it's it's he's like a, just a regular working stiff, and he's got fifteen hundred dollars ticket for for what took two minutes. Outrageous!
1: That is a really hostile environment for bikes, and I mean, is that getting us to our climate goals? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, huh? Well, I, it was it's in, it was interesting to hear you describe your bikes as. Uh, Shitty computers <laughs> or shitty hybrid bikes? Like, is that like, is that how you think of them? Like, you just don't even really, you know, what yeah, kind I of bike do you? Yeah,
2: third. I have a um, I have a Surly, uh, a Surly something right now, which is not shitty, but it's like not a great bike. The other, the bike I had before was some um, bike that was only made for a year, and which I loved, but it wasn't. It, it was not an expensive bike. I. It, and then I had a, I had a pretty decent Cannondale road bike, which um, which a bus I had it parked somewhere and a bus hit it and snapped the snapped the frame, so that's that's gone. Um, but I just don't, I'm not a bike I don't have, I'm not like an equipment person, and I and also I bike around in cities and I'm not trying to bike for speed, and I don't and I just want a bike which if it does get stolen I'm not going to be really upset about so. You know, I paid a decent amount for a bike, but I would never, like, I would never buy a bike for $2,000 or $5,000 or buy any equipment that like, mattered. Cause it's just, I'm, I'm just never going to be, this is not worth it for me to, to, to do that. And I'm never, I, I'm not an equipment, I'm not an equipment person. I just don't, I don't care about equipment yeah. particularly. I just like the feeling of being on the bike and moving through space.
1: I uh, my 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 commuter the one I ride around town I bought it for two hundred dollars and you know it's the same kind of thing I I mean I'd probably be heartbroken if it got stolen but Armando has a bike that he calls his bar bike you know the one he'll lock up at right. a bar yeah.
2: exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, well my all yeah. and, my bikes
1: are bikes <laughs> right right yeah you don't want to be super you don't want your fancy road bike locked up with a U lock at a at a bike lock for very long,
2: you know. So, um, I also don't. I also just don't. You, I just don't oh, want to spend time like dealing with like finding the right place or finding an indoor place or having to leave it somewhere safe. I just like I'm going to leave it outside. I don't want to have to deal with it. I'm not going to buy a really expensive lock. So I'm going to just make it like slightly inconvenient. If someone if someone really wants to steal this bike, you can go ahead and steal the bike. I'm not going to it's, it's going to be easier to get into than a lot of other bikes, but it's not, you can't just walk away with it. And, and I don't know, it's been pretty effective. It's like, I've had one, almost everyone I know has had bikes stolen DC. I've had one bike stolen in 30 years of biking. So it doesn't seem so bad.
1: You know, that's a really good question. I bet, I think just about every person I know who bikes has had a bike stolen. I don't know. Maybe that would be a good, yeah. It's just, they're so portable, right? I mean, that's the whole, that's why we let them, because they're so portable, which makes them super tempting to steal. Um, yeah. And I also think there's something to be said for not having your bike be the best looking one. So if somebody wants to steal one, maybe there's another one right. that looks more attractive. Right. Um, okay. Well, you know, I I just want to pivot a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about CityCast and what you're doing there? Yeah. So I'm- I think our folks would be interested to hear that.
2: I'm running a company. I've just started a company called CityCast. And the idea behind CityCast is that podcasting, as listeners to this podcast know, is this amazing medium. It's an incredible medium for connection and for community. And we wanted to build a set of local news podcasts in cities around the country, not because we think that. Um, these cities necessarily had no good news sources. It's just that podcasting is a different way to communicate. It's a way of really building this emotional communal connection. And so our bet is that if we do daily news podcasts in cities, that we can attract a really good audience in, and and make people care more about their cities. The point, the point of CityCast is it's a newscast. It's, it tells you about the important things that are happening in your city, uh, but mostly, it it uh, will hopefully make you feel more connected to your city because the hosts have a really strong point of view. They love their city more than anybody else. They also think it's more fucked up than anybody else, and they can they are kind of convey that kind of uh, that that enthusiasm, that passion. I think that podcasting, which is such an intimate, emotional connecting medium is a really great way to make people feel more strongly about their cities so we've launched in denver and chicago uh just in march and uh we're doing monday to friday daily podcasts and daily newsletters and our hope is to expand to a whole bunch of other cities and and certainly portland your your guys's town is one that we have looked at hard i'm sure we'll be there eventually even if not we're not there immediately and uh I would urge your listeners, if you're, if you're certainly if you're in Chicago or Denver and you're looking for a, a new way to hear the city and to understand your city, you should check it out at uh, Citycast.fm/slash Chicago or Citycast.fm/slash Denver. Um, but you should, you know, continue to support uh, whatever local journalism you admire because local journalism is in trouble. And when we do get to your town, I hope you'll you'll listen to us then too.
1: I would I would love something like that here. We have some great local uh, journalism, but of course, it's really tough time for some of, especially some of our, I mean, they're not exactly alternative presses, but what we sort of call our alternative presses. They've been, you know, they've been hustling, covering protests here like mad. I mean, it's, we've had a lot going on here. They've been really busy. They've been getting, they've been getting tear gassed, you know, like right. recently. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yes, that's 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 okay. So this relates to my other question, which is kind of like my big question, and like it's, it's kind of a long question too. <laughs> so um, okay, so before the pandemic, our worlds just were really big, right? Like especially for you know traditionally educated privileged folks in cities, right? Uh, we were doing a lot of traveling across the country, internationally for business, for fun, um, like this this is kind of the business model now for Atlas Obscura, right? Like actually doing some, some trips and things like that. Um, And some of us, you know, are a little bit conflicted as well about climate change and our carbon footprint, but you know, also really value these new experiences. At the same time, we are also big fans of things that are local. Um, You know, we want to walk to the grocery store and buy in season local produce. Uh, It's become a bit of a joke, right? That we want to eat meat raised on a, farm within 50 miles right or whatever um and so you wrote about city cast that the future is local and i think that's fantastic but like part of the reason the coronavirus spread so fast is also because you know we're all moving around so much and our our worlds were so big and so i guess the question that i have for you is like is there a tension here between valuing new experiences valuing seeing having a perspective especially for folks in the u.s beyond the u.s um kind of there's almost like a liberal smearing at provincialism sometimes but is there a conflict between valuing that kind of thing but also valuing local whether it's food or news or experiences
2: there is a a huge tension (laughs) there's a huge tension and and it's not uh it's not easily resolved, and I—I I was thinking about this because, like you, I've been cooped up and I'm desperate to travel. And I've made a couple of trips with my girlfriend during pandemic, and it's been the 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 incredible pleasure I felt at being a place in a place that was different, in a place that smelled different, where the food was different, the people looked different. Uh, where I wasn't walking the same streets uh, was enormous. And I don't think, I think anyone who's traveled extensively will tell you like that the trips they've taken have been the most memorable times of their life. I can, I can, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can tell you with probably vivid certainty, uh, a trip I took to, to Ethiopia 18 years ago, what I did each day and what I ate ate for each meal. And that's because those, those kind of new, fresh experiences are, are seared into us. And that is totally intention with this, the fact that, that, uh, travel is incredibly destructive for the environment and, and travel is, uh, is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's destructive and it's wasteful and it's, um, and it 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 uh, contributes to this kind of globalized world where you don't even pay attention to the enormous amount of carbon that required for the food you eat and the and the travel you're making and the and the hotel you're staying at. Um, I don't know. It's really hard, and it, 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 you know, because it's intention with something which is also wonderful, which is like this sense of community that we all feel. Like it is been, it has been nice to to walk the streets of Washington. I've spent the year, pandemic, like at the beginning of pandemic, and this lasted maybe for like a hundred days or so, I made it a vow to every day I would walk a street I'd never been on in Washington. Uh, and I was able to do it or street or path. I was able to do it for, for a long time, but you know what? It did get kind of boring. It did get boring to be, to see in this, to see the same thing this day after day. And, and so this kind of sense of kind of, deep connection, familiarity with a place is wonderful, but you, you, you know, if you have the opportunity to travel, like almost no one will turn down that opportunity because it is, it's memorable and rich and rewarding. And I, I don't know what to do about it. I I don't know. I don't, I don't. And it also builds connections across culture. It makes people aware of the world and it makes people curious about the world. And that's, those are good things. So it's, it's, um, it's a hard one. It's really hard. I mean, Alice Obscura, we used to say that you can find a wonder of the world across the globe, or you can find it around the corner. Like there's something amazing to see around the corner and it's true. Like there's something amazing to see around the corner for me is like there, if you, if you came to Washington, you'd never been here, I could show you, 15 things within five blocks from here of where I live that you would be like, that's so great. And I think they're great, but I've seen them a hundred times now. So I don't want to just like, it is not enough for me to see those 15 things. And, and, uh, and yet I know when, when I fly to Portland, like I flew to, we did a live gap fest in Portland a couple of years ago, loved it. I spent the day walking. I walked 15 miles in Portland that day. It was, I fucking loved it. It was such a great day. But you know what? I flew. I flew across the country. What to just like to sit and sit in a theater and and mouth off to to a few people? What a waste! I don't know. What's your solution?
1: I don't know. I I think about this a lot too. I think um, it's interesting that you mentioned Ethiopia because that's actually a country where I've spent a fair amount of time, uh, and I, I lived there for about ten months a few years ago. And um, yeah, so one thing I've heard. Like, what if, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not taking big international trips every single year, but like, what if we weren't, what if we were sticking closer to home? And then when we did travel, right, it was more, I don't know, like Europeans take off like a month at a time rather than a week or two at a time. Like, what if we did these big trips a little bit shorter? Uh, You know, one thing i did that uh, i talk about on this podcast a lot is uh i've been trying to find vacations i can take on the train right Mm -hmm. and you know you can't get that far (laughs) on the train but a few years ago um my boyfriend and i rode our bikes to the train you can roll your bike right up to the baggage car put it on a hook so you don't have to pack it and then we went to vancouver bc so uh i mean it's yeah, and that was, and then we rode our bikes around, and then we took the train home, and, you know, so that was great, because, you know, you get to have that, like, feeling of, like, I don't know, like, we're so climate-minded, and, you know, uh, but, you know, I, are, so then the, I, that the means bikes that I can the go, train. like... A, the, the,
2: the bikes went on the train with you? The bikes?
1: Yes, and the, you and can put them on a hook in the baggage car.
2: Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, so, and then you could, and Vancouver's such a great biking city, so...
1: Yes. And the infrastructure there makes Portland look terrible, right? Like it, like it was actually kind of maddening being there and seeing how good their bike infrastructure was relative to ours. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, but that means I can go as far South as Eugene, Oregon, and then I can go to Vancouver. And so like Seattle and I mean, yeah. And then I've been thinking about like, there's a train, an overnight train I can take to Glacier National Park, which is amazing, right? To be Like I grew up in the East coast, so I am kind of in awe of like the West, but, uh, You know, but I so so it's a so I could take the train to Glacier and then what like rent a car there. I don't I don't know. So I don't have a solution. I wish I wish you did. I don't know how we sort of value like being hyper local and also our you know global experiences.
2: I mean, I think the the one thing that happens is a lot of travel, there's a lot of travel that people do. Which actually isn't mind-expanding at all. It's sort of like obligatory, hard work travel. And hopefully, there's going to be a lot less of that. And people, so at least you'll cut down on that part of the the wasteful moving around that you do, and then, or that one does, not that you in particular do. And that we will instead, if insofar as people do do the travel, they'll they'll either do it in this very nice way you're doing it whether train, trains and bikes, or they'll, if they are going to fly somewhere, they're going to do it infrequently and for really special occasions.
1: I, um, before the pandemic, I was sort of thinking about some of these things. And, and again, it's a little bit hypocritical because like I took a sabbatical from work and went to Ethiopia. Uh, so, you know, that's quite a long ways to go, but um, I sort of raised this issue to my colleagues and said, Should we, you know, I work in higher ed, should we be valuing local participation over national or international participation in professional organizations, for example? You know, should we be uh, encouraging folks to do local events and things like that rather than presuming that it is the height of achievement to be the keynote at the national conference? Why not, you know, I don't know. I kind of pissed some people off (laughs) saying that because like. We also all like to travel, you know, so, right, right. you know, I don't know, maybe if we can think about it too, but I, I do think there's a lot of room for, yeah, business travel, uh, not being quite so casual a thing maybe, but that's not really part of my, I'm, I'm not in that world, you know, I mean, we travel, but like to, I mean, we're librarians, we're not, we're not the, the elite, I mean, we're doing fine, but we're not, you know elite of the mm. world business traveler.
2: So uh, yeah well yeah I don't know. Uh yeah. I don't know. It's 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 no really hard. There, huh? It's okay. really hard because it's <laughs> like I I just I never don't love traveling and seeing a new place. I never it isn't it is definitely the best thing I ever get to do. The thought of having to give it up is so painful, but so it goes.
1: And I have never wanted to travel so much as during this past year. (laughs) Like, like I did have a moment where I was just like, fuck the climate. Like, just where can I go? (laughs) You know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully I'll get some of that out of my system, but it, you know, after being at home, the, the, you know, I think these, these, these new places are calling. So
2: yes. Yeah.
1: So we just have to figure out where the train goes, I guess. Yeah. We need, uh, we need, we need secretary Pete to build us some high speed rail, (laughs) you know, get us some high speed boats to Europe or something.
2: Hey, David, David
0: being in, uh, being in DC and New York, do you ever run into people or see people that you write about?
2: I mean, I'm, i well i don't write very much these days so no but when i was writing regularly occasionally i remember i've you know once on a train to new york i sat behind a very famous person who had a very loud conversation that was slightly uh you know it wasn't top secret but it was slightly it was slightly uh unwise for this person to have a conversation like that in a public place um but I, I I I'm not I, I don't run in uh circles of politicians and members of Congress. That's not my that's not my scene. You're not running red lights with them? I'm not running red lights with them. I mean I I play soccer with a congressman <laughs> and uh I'm trying to think if I ever if I've ever, while biking, seen anyone I knew who was interesting. I can't even I cannot remember doing that. No. Maybe not I don't think so.
1: But um, I don't, I haven't, no, I, I was waiting for why Armando asked that question in particular. Are you just, is that just, oh, I don't just know. Curious? Yeah, oh. just,
0: it's, 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 it's I mean, like, is like, so me, go, I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest and then I'm in Portland and it's like, you know, we get some famous people in Portland before, you know, all this happened and like, oh, there's Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro's in town, you know, that kind of thing. And whenever I go to like New York City,
2: I mean, I used to go there a lot it's like who am i going to see that's famous you know it's exciting i, mean, I get yeah i mean i i see lots of famous people i ju- i guess i just don't they're not people i they're not people i can i talk to i mean pandemic you don't see anybody pandemic nobody but before pandemic <laughs> sure i would yes i would see famous famous people but but not uh, it didn't lead to, to to grand human connection
0: yeah i don't think uh, robert de niro's bodyguards would have let us come up to him anyway
2: <laughs> yeah, probably not. I remember I was, at, I was at a I was at a bar once, and um, Lena Dunham was there, and John Cougar Mellencamp separately. I was like, "That's an interesting pair." It was just like some random bar. John Cougar Mellencamp looked pretty good.
1: I saw. I can't even think of the guy. The guy who was in Portlandia. I saw him at a bar in.
2: Fred Armisen.
1: Yeah, Fred Armisen. But that, you know, like that's where you should see Fred Armisen is in a bar in Portland, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Please bring CityCast to Portland soon. We'd love to have you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. And here's to, you know, getting back on our bike soon.
2: You guys are back on your bikes. I'm back on my bike.
1: Are you? How, what, how, what kind of biking are you doing? Tons. I bike all the time. You guys don't okay. bike now? I am. So why uh, are you biking? I don't so know. Why couldn't you bike? I'm not biking to work. I'm a bike commuter. I'm not oh, I'm oh. working. This is where I work. This, this is my well, you, you know, I'm
2: home. Well, take the time you would have been biking to work and just get on your bike and go for a bike ride.
1: Okay. I know. I f- I'm feeling like the total poser now as the host. You're like, <laughs> what do you mean you don't bike? I do bike. I do bike. I have two bikes. I have more that I don't ride. I am biking sometimes, just not as much. Just not as much. I used to. I miss my commute a little bit. Hmm.
2: <laughs> I can't, it's, but biking's better than just commuting. It's good, it's good to
1: bike just to bike. I did, I, I was on my road bike this weekend riding around my neighborhood, so, that's like my non-commuter. I like nicer, lighter bikes, so. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> no one else will tell me more about this biking thing.
2: <laughs> I'm going to start a rival podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, I'll tell you, you what, pleasure. if you
1: start a rival podcast, just hire us. We'll just like, you know, whatever kind of selling out is needed. I'm in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I have too many. I have too many podcasts. I'm responsible for at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah. Cool. Thank Thanks you
1: so much. We really appreciate your time.
2: And not at all. Good luck. All right. Thank you Let very know much. When it, thank comes, you. when it comes out. Okay. I
1: sure will. Thanks, David.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much to David Plotz for joining us. What a what a treat it was! Yeah, that was to have, uh,
0: he was really good. I liked him.
1: I um, I the the Slate Political Gabfest was the first podcast I ever started listening to, and I think I've been listening to it for like twelve years or more, and pretty much like every week.
0: Wow. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, so was, when he said they were in Portland, did you? Was that like an audience? People could go there and watch it live or something? Yeah, I was
1: there. Oh, cool. Went. Oh, when was it? Was the, it was at Revolution Hall. Oh, nice. Uh, and there are three people on the Gap Fest, but John Dickerson w- couldn't go to that one. There was some, I don't know, breaking news thing. And he, but it was, yeah, it was David and Emily. And I was in the audience with my friend Amanda. Nice. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was, that was, I don't know, feels pretty generous of him to have spent this time with us. And then isn't it exciting that we got to, that I got to tell him about uh, the Idaho oh, stop yeah, and, totally. and, and, <laughs> and <laughs> vehicular cycling.
0: And like, yeah, it it was, it was, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not that as familiar with him as you are. So that was, uh, uh, that was good. I real that was like, yes, score. <laughs> so yeah. he's, he's, you know, Mr. Podcast is, you know, in that sense of he <laughs> organizes so many, but I totally wanted to ask him all these podcast organizing questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Do it do like a consultation, <laughs> business consultation.
0: What would you do in this situation?
1: <laughs> all right. Well, <clears throat> should we? Uh, I think we uh, have some headlines. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights.
1: All right. First article is uh, from the Washington Post. The pandemic trade-off. Some parents are reassessing which kids' activities feel safe. With most kids' team sports suspended or restricted because of concerns about COVID, parents have been reassessing which activities feel safe and which seem risky. It's led to some unorthodox trade-offs as people turn away from traditional team sports and start looking at alternative sports in a new light. Uh, Skateboard sales jumped 75% last year compared with 2019. Mountain bike sales increased by 75% in 2020. Baseball and softball equipment sales dropped 17%, and soccer and football equipment fell more than 10%. Hordes of new skateboarders and cyclists may be a bright spot in the decades-long trend of declining physical activity rates among kids. Some wonder whether this shift will become part of a broader trend away from highly structured team sports and toward more free-range forms of physical activity. What do you think, Armando? Uh,
0: I do don't know i'm seeing a lot of parents moving back to my kids doing baseball and soccer and other team sports again so um but i agree with this article of uh, things that they're saying and the one thing it's not mentioned it i don't know if they mentioned it farther in the article is uh roller skating which has taken off this last year i mean it probably was already but it, uh, my daughter wanted to get some skates and there were no skates to be had anywhere
1: Yes, that is, you know, so we know that there's been uh right with the bike boom, there's been a big run on bikes. Roller skating has become super popular. I saw my little five or six year old neighbor wearing some roller brand, she had on brand new roller skates and was roller skating. Uh, well, actually, she's mostly sort of walking in roller skates on the sidewalk <laughs> this weekend. Uh, I will confess that I thought about getting roller skates. And the last time I had a pair of roller skates, they had strawberry shortcake on them.
0: So, I think you can still get so. those, though.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I don't think those are going to fit me anymore. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, lots of, yeah, so so I think the team sports that are picking back up are, are especially the ones that you can do outside, mm-hmm. right? Like soccer. Oh, right, right. Uh, things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll see more kids. I mean, certainly lots of adults are riding bikes more and roller skating more. I think roller skating being a thing started before the pandemic. I don't know. I know that there have been some uh, great videos on TikTok of people doing some pretty cool roller skating oh, moves. Yeah. So I think that was. But I think you're right that 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 it took off, and you know, maybe we'll see more of that. Yeah, I know know, a lot of the
0: roller dancing, too.
1: Roller dancing. I mean, Armando, I just feel like you were made to roller dance.
0: That is so fun. (laughs) Take take me back to high school. We had roller skating in gym. Did you guys have roller skating in gym?
1: No, we would have roller skating parties at the roller rink. Like that was, you know, like middle school. That was, yeah, that was where you wanted to have the... Yeah. Yeah, roller skating parties at the roller <laughs> <rink>. <laughs> All right.
0: uh, Another headline we have palooza is on. Organizers announced three month festival to start in June. So Portland's favorite free fun festival of bike rides and events will make a big return in twenty twenty one. Organizers of Petapalooza announced Thursday. This year's festival lasts three months from June through August since COVID-19 and its variants are still very much circulating in the community. The emphasis this year will be on smaller rides. Uh, so last year we Petapalooza was quote on, um, and it was more of create Petapalooza on your own, create your own ride, do your own thing and, and post it and tag Petapalooza. But it was not, not a thing of go out on a group ride with others. Um, this year, uh, I think, uh, well, there was a survey that was sent out by the organizers of Petapalooza, and I know a lot of people filled that out, and I started to fill it out, and I, I couldn't do it. It was The questions were too difficult just to click yes, no, or have a short answer for me, because I had to really think about it. Uh, and then I missed the deadline, so.
1: <laughs> that is so interesting. I filled it out. I you mean it was asking like the kinds of questions like, would you be comfortable riding in this kind of situation, or what should we do? I I definitely remember saying that I thought it should be spread out over the entire summer. Oh yeah, uh, I did. Well,
0: I didn't submit it, so my answer didn't count. <laughs> but I
1: did yeah, answer. but that, you yes. agree? You agree with the with that? Well, because also that kind of takes some pressure off. I don't know. Maybe people won't feel like. I don't know. Maybe the events will be a little bit smaller if people don't feel like. They, they have, have to make that one,
0: yeah. Or you can have the same ride three, you know, once a month or twice a month, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone wants to organize that.
1: Well, I don't know. I I do. I think it's. I'm kind of wondering how they're gonna sort of. Manage the rides to be a little bit smaller. Oh, some well, some of the one of the things I suggested was basically like not having, basically some of the big traditional rides, right? Like not having the um, what's that first ride? The like opening the kickoff ride. The kickoff ride that would be a good name. <laughs> so I think you know this kind of raises bigger questions that I guess I'd be interested to hear from our listeners about. Um, you can, uh, you know, get in touch with us at the Sprocket COD podcast, the Sprocket <laughs> 321. You can get in touch with us at the Sprocket podcast at gmail.com or call or text to five zero three eight four seven nine seven seven four And tell us how you are feeling about group rides these days are you going are you still not going is it dependent on your vaccination status are you wearing a mask are you not let us know and you know this is for summer so do you think it'll be different different this summer
0: I'm, so i'm thinking about you know i thought i think about you and i hosted a welcome to Petapalooza ride which was sort of for people newer to riding in group rides social group rides and explaining what could happen and what it was, what it'd be like things like that. Just things like, why? What, what did they do? They just ride from one place to another. And so we try to help answer some people's questions about that. Um, because you had mentioned you sort of felt that way the year before. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe we have a welcome, another welcome ride where we talk more about how you feel comfortable with, you know, dealing with group rides or not.
1: I don't know. Hmm. Lots to think about there. Yeah. I uh yeah, that was nice. It was it was a way I think my first petal palooza it's a little intimidating to go out to these group rides. And the idea with the welcome ride that we had was just that, you know, we'd all wear name tags and that you and I made a point of talking to everybody so that it was okay if people didn't show up with somebody. Cause I think that was always the thing that was a little intimidating to me was I want to go to the social ride, but, I don't want to go by myself. Um, so yeah, having having a kind of low key ride, and then we also yeah, we showed folks like a few spots where a lot of the rides go, and
0: that was fun.
1: That was <laughs> nice. I didn't want to do it again the next year, though. I don't know why. I think I didn't organize any rides the next year. But but you already have something on the Pedal Palooza calendar, don't you?
0: I do. The bike mm-hmm. shop ride.
1: It took you about. Five, Five minutes, minutes fr- yep. <laughs> 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 Mr. Pedal Palooza, Armando Luna.
0: And this, So the bike shop ride would, is going to be a good example of a ride that would be done in COVID times. Um, because first of all, it was the last time we had it. There wasn't a lot of people. I think we had maybe 10 people total. And that's going in and out of the ride, starting in the middle and leaving before the end. Things like that. So a total of 10 Um, but maybe like six or seven at any given time. Uh, And I'm doing it during the day, during the week. So, you know, that that lessens your attendance right there. Um, But yeah, I think it will be a good example of a a fun ride that um, could be as COVID safe as possible.
1: Well, and I know that one of the things that uh, folks appreciated about that ride is there are a lot of people who don't have sort of nine to five Monday through Friday schedules who, Mm -hmm. you know, work in different, I don't know, maybe the service industry or whatever. And so a lot of those folks really appreciated there being things on the calendar that they could attend. So that's great too. And you're right. That's going to sort of naturally keep those, keep those numbers down. All right. Well, I think that's, I think that's it for today.
0: the sprocket podcast is produced at home until we can gather safely indoors remember indoors with other people
1: no i don't um our website is the dot
0: email to thesprocketpodcast at at gmail.com
1: call or text to 503-847-9774 twitter and instagram
0: at sprocket podcast
1: thanks to ryan j lane for our theme music
0: Hurtbird for our headlines, headlines Sounder.
1: Marcus Norman for Graphic Design.
0: And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners.
1: Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson.
0: Cameron Lean, Richard Wisinski, Tim Mooney.
1: Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss.
0: Doug Cohen-Miller, Todd Parker, Chris Smith.
1: Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Culey, Peanut Butter Jar Matt.
0: Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. Andrew in Colorado.
1: Drew the Welder, Anna, Andre Johnson.
0: King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw.
1: Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery.
0: Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay.
1: Campsite, Mac David, Nathan Poulton.
0: Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Fitternan.
1: Brad Hipwell. Thomas Skadow, Keith Hutchison.
0: Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam.
1: Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore.
0: Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Barron. Barron.
1: Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite.
0: Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. Emma Rooks.
1: Kakar. Marshall, Paulette, Funatake Cycle Craft.
0: Philip M., Spartan Dale.
1: Mr. T, Who Never Really Left, Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G.
0: Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond.
1: Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso.
0: Isaac M, David Christensen, 503.
1: Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G, Rachel Moline.
0: And welcome back to our newest and returning donor, Jimmy Diesel.
1: And to all of our former donors who helped us get this far, thank you so much.
0: And now wash your hands.
1: And wear your mask. And, uh, you know, go sail a boat. Yeah. (laughs) Do that.